Welcome to the first podcast of Not Another Mortgage Podcast. Myself, Joshua Smith, chairing with the mortgage nerd, Lewis Shaw, with me. Good evening, Lewis. Hi, mate. You are right? How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Are you? Yeah, lovely, thanks. Lovely. Not bad at all. Not bad at all. Um, bit tired, to be fair, but hey-ho, it is what it is. It's a Monday, and uh, it always happens on a Monday, doesn't it? Everything always happens on a Monday. It does. There's something about Mondays that just, they start slow, they end slow, and the bit in the middle, the less said, the better. Um, Lewis, <laughs> we are going to be talking mortgages today, but first, would you like to tell people who probably haven't met you uh, a little bit about yourself? Um, well, where shall I start? I mean, in terms of mortgages, or do you mean like from being a nipper? Which bit do you want? <laughs> oh, I think let's do the interesting bit first, and then we'll do the mortgages, shall we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we to be fair, yeah, yeah okay, um, <laughs> So, uh, well, born in Shybrook, um, which you can't hold against me. Uh, interesting bit. So, 18, I joined the Royal Marines, um, did a bit there, um, then decided that I fancied going to university. Um, so, went to uni, uh, degree in philosophy, which is, I suppose, a bit nerdy, I guess, um, and a bit odd. You don't tend to, I don't think you get, is that not that many... Uh, Marines with philosophy degrees. I don't think anyway. Um, I'm maybe it's wrong. Certainly, it's um, an interesting Venn diagram, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and then finish uni. Uh, I uh, when I finished uni, I kind of came into the jobs market, and there was a thing called the global financial crash, and there was kind of no jobs. Um, I mean, to be fair, there were never going to be any jobs for someone with a philosophy, philosophy degree, let's be fair. <laughs> so, I think I'm more impressed yeah. by the fact you're from Shirebrook with a philosophy degree than uh, than anything, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, fair yeah, fair point, fair point. Um, and so then I ended up back in the forces. So I went, I, I rejoined and uh, joined the army, but did it as a uh, as a musician. So I played a, uh, an instrument most of my life. Um and ended up in the army, uh, marching up and down the mall and doing changes in the garden, all that kind of stuff, um, and playing in some really random places. So um, I did, uh, played in a brass quintet in the embassy in Algeria for, for something, I can't remember what that was for. And then uh, I suppose the weirdest one in terms of quirkiness, um, you know the iced gem kind of cathedral in Russia, St Basil's Cathedral? Uh, it's on Red Square in, in front of the Kremlin. Mm. Um, did a uh, did a concert there for a few nights. So wow. had a bit of a stint in in Moscow, which is a weird. Well, it's not a weird place. It's different. Put it that way. It's it certainly seems it. Whenever I've seen it on telly and and things like that, you see, you look at Russia and think, mm, crikey, slight ever so slightly different to Britain. <laughs> yeah, it, it, yeah, it is. It's um, very, the people are very. They all seem very serious, like really, like really, really serious. Um, you know, jokes don't go down particularly well. Although it could just be that I annoyed people, which is equally possible. Either that, <laughs> so, or everyone in Russia is just a mortgage and financial advisor. Yeah, well, yeah, that. Um, so then I left the army um, and needed to re retrain, um, and basically ended up. Um, talking to a mate who's at uni with, his name is Mark, uh, who's actually an IFA now down in London. Um, and I said, I've you know, no idea what to do. Um, better chat and talked about things and mortgages came up and, you know, you're decent with numbers and blah, blah, blah. And why don't you consider doing that? So the army pay for you, it's called resettlement. Um, when you come back out of kind of out of the forces and you go back into civilian life, there's an amount of money 
so that you can retrain and and uh, you know hopefully enter the jobs market. And so I thought, well, okay, okay, let's have a see what this mortgage lark is is all about. Um, went and did a course, did some exams, and uh, got qualified with that. Uh, and started so initially qualified in 2015, um, and moved from where where I was living down to London for my first for my first job. Although I was based in London in the army, so kind of left the army, came back up here, and then went back down because um, I thought, you know, I might as well cut my teeth cut my teeth uh, down there, um, which was interesting because of course you see everything. And I used to work around the corner from the Shard uh, on London Bridge, um, which was. It was good fun, um, a bit of a baptism of fire, uh, kind of just being qualified and kind of getting into it. Didn't really know much. Um, and probably a little bit wet behind the ears in, in terms of thinking that, you know, it'd be a, such a, a really, really professional job and all that kind of stuff. And then realising that actually there's, you know, there's, uh, well, there's more to it than meets the eye for a start. Um, so was, was employed and self-employed in various places for a few years and then um, decided in December 18, because I've always wanted to do it for myself and work for myself. So I decided, decided in December 18, I'd have a crack at that. And so um, you have to get authorised by the Financial Conduct Authority. And I suppose at this point, I should say that during the podcast, I'll just do the regulatory bit, actually. Um, obviously, anything I say doesn't constitute advice. And I'll say this just, <laughs> I don't even know if I need to, but your home or property may be repossessed if you do not keep up repayments on your mortgage. That way I should be covered because that's a statutory uh, kind of thing you have to say when you talk to people. Anyway, so um, decided to set up my own business in yeah December eighteen, um, and I started trading officially in um, April nineteen. So I got authorised. What's called authorised? So of course, you have to go through all the checks and blah blah blah, and have DBS checks, and they want to know everything about you for the last ten years and where you've slept and what you've done and who you've been, you know, where you've worked, and it's quite an intense process to be fair to get authorised by, by, by a network and, and one thing and another. Um, so my official start date in terms of my own business was April the 1st, 2019. So make, ah. make of that what you will. Um, and and uh, so that's when I started. And of course, then, you know, I was up and running for approximately about 10 months. And then, of course, good old COVID came along and gave everyone a really good kick in. So... That's a potted history, really, of, of me. There's a few other bits and bobs in there, um, you know, like, uh, well, what else can I tell people that's interesting? Well, not interesting, I suppose. It just makes me uh, more to be a mortgage nerd. So um, <laughs> You just played rugby, didn't you? That's uh, I do play. I, I, yeah, I do, I do play rugby, yeah. Um, well, of course, there's not been much rugby going on for the last 18 months or so, well, 12 months or so. Um, but unfortunately, because I'm quite lazy and inherently fat, <laughs> I've, put, I've probably put about two and a half, three stone on since uh, lockdown, just through... That's good in rugby, though, isn't it? That's helpful, isn't it? <laughs> well, it, well, it is. If, if, it is if you can run with it, but I can't. Um, yeah, I imagine it's quite so, difficult to uh, to have a socially distant, COVID-secure scrum. Uh, so I gather there's not been a lot of rugby. Yeah, so so at the, so at the minute, rugby is back in terms of community rugby is back, but um, yeah, scrums are out of the minute because of course well the nature of the the nature of the beast being that you have to get your pretty much head up someone else's arse <laughs> so to not put too fine a point on it um but i mean i to be fair i'm not going to get all political but i do think it's a bit silly in the sense of if you're playing rugby 
generally, if you tackle someone, you're, you're scrapping around on the floor anyway. I don't see why a scrum is going to pose that much more danger, um, especially given that loads of people have had vaccines now. And typically, the people that are playing rugby tend not to be octogenarians at risk. Yeah, you don't tend to see many people in their 80s in a scrum. I, yeah, I have to agree with you on that point, absolutely. You know, so, uh, so yeah, so um, moved into my office in July of July 20, uh, in where, where, I, where I am now. But I'm actually moving offices to Mansfield Business Centre, which is on Woodhouse Road, for people that know where Mansfield is. Um, there's a, there's a, a, an office block behind, it's, well, I'll say it's on the A60 behind office supplies. It used to be the old nursing college. Um, and I'm moving there uh, probably within the next uh, few days, a little bit close to home. I uh, should be able to cycle to and from work, which is the plan to be able to get some timber off so I can get back playing rugby because I do miss it, despite it taking now at my age, the grand old age of 38, despite it taking half a week to recover from a match. Um, <laughs> specifically when um, I, I play prop um, and your neck really does take a bit of a battering, to be fair. And it's surprising how long it takes. You know, you wake up on a Sunday morning and you feel like you've been in a car crash, <laughs> you know, trying to get out of bed. <laughs> um, so, I'm, you know, whilst I'm missing rugby, I'm not necessarily missing the pain that comes with, um, you know, playing rugby, albeit, as I say, most of the pain comes the two or three days after you've played rather than in the match. Because when you're playing, obviously, there's a bit of adrenaline, a bit of fun, you know, um, Anyway, why are we talking about rugby so much? So anyway, I play rugby, yeah, but uh, what else do I do? Well, I can play a little bit piano. Um, is there anything you can't is... do? It would have been quicker just for things you've not done, I think, to be honest. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, to be yeah, playing jobs, I mean, jobs-wise, um, what else have I done? So I've been a bin man. Um, I've worked in a frozen food warehouse. That was That's hard graft. That really is hard graft because it's absolutely bolted. It was minus 25 um, I mean, you've got obviously you're, you're wearing stuff, but yeah. So I've been about a bit. I've done a few things, but uh, you know, now I'm running my own business, and it's it's good. Although it has been difficult. I mean, for every business over the last you know year and a half, and hopefully, hopefully we'll all come out of it shortly. Um, and try and get back to a bit, a bit more a bit more normality. Really, does that does that make business? more fruitful though for, for yourself and your industry though because of covid because you've got businesses and, and people struggling financially do you find that you actually profit from that or, or are you in the same boat um well we have profited anyone that does my job has seen an uptake in, in business because of various kind of stuff that's been put in place by the government you know so the stamp duty holiday was a big driver huge driver of, of activity in the market because people uh, rushed. I mean, there's been a couple of things. So, of course, COVID meant that people were locked away and a lot of people kind of seemed that they didn't have enough space either in the house or certainly in the garden. That's, a, that's one big thing that has come out of this, that people want much more outside space. Um, and so there's a big rush when the kind of unlocking began. And that led to a huge flurry in the property market, along with the stamp duty um holiday which comes to an end i should say well it's in two tiers so the first tier which is up to half a million quid that comes to an end on june 30th i'm not going to kind of get into tax advice and how much stamp duty is because um i'm not a tax advisor but um so the first tier comes to end to the end on june the 30th and then there's a second tier which is, is reduced up to 250,000 quid so if, if the property in, in question is is 250,000 pounds or below they wouldn't be stamp duty payable but that ends at the end of september 
Um, so there's still, you know, uh, the possibility of moving house now um, without paying stamp duty, as long as it's below those thresholds, um, you know. So, but anyway, so the question was, has there been a big flurry? There has. Um, now, right at the start of the pandemic, of course, getting a mortgage was notoriously difficult because lots and lots of people were put on furlough. And initially, um, banks were kind of okay with the furlough because it was kind of government supported. But as times passed by, then other banks, well, most of the banks and building societies have decided actually they're not that comfortable with furlough. So most of them have stopped offering mortgages to people on furlough. And I can see why, because I guess, you know, with the economy pretty much almost reopened, apart from some industries like nightclubs and things and, and wedding venues, um, if you're still on furlough, would, would you have a job to go back to in, in six weeks' time? Hopefully you will, but, of course, that's the question that underwriters and, and risk analysts and, and, and the like have to ask in banks. You know, if you're not back at work now, are you going to be back in that job in six weeks' time? Um, so, I mean, it was, it was all a bit weird when the pandemic first happened, to be fair, because can you remember when um, Rishi Sunak came out on national TV and went, everyone's going to get a three-month mortgage holiday? Do you yeah. remember that? I do, yeah, yeah. Because we right. just we just bought our house not long before, um, and it was the same for like rent and and loan repayments and everything else. Um, so so yes, I do remember that. So that policy wasn't re- <laughs> so. This is weird. You you would assume, wouldn't you, that um, they'd go along to all the the banks and building societies and say, "Look, lads, we're going to get you all in the room together. We we want to say that you know we need you to all give everyone a break because you know people can't get to work. We'll put everyone on furlough." that we can and we need you to give everyone a mortgage holiday that would have been maybe a, a sensible way to go about it but from what i gather and of course this is second hand but from people that necessarily i know in the industry and trust that was announced so the majority of mortgage lenders found out they were giving a mortgage holiday at the same time that people found out they'd be getting one <laughs> so which which is absolutely mental but um yeah, so so that happened, which is a, which is the consequence of why um, initially in the first stages of the pandemic, when people were still wanting mortgages, of course, lenders had to overnight redesign systems that they'd not prepared for, not planned for, because of course, if people start missing mortgage payments, that automatically starts to affect your credit report and those kind of things. And the government have said, well, we're not going to allow it to do that, and so banks had to kind of scramble developers together uh, to be able to do that at, at scale very very quickly which is to be fair when you consider how sophisticated a lot of banks systems are basically to turn it on its head because the the, the systems are there to monitor people to make sure that they pay the mortgage and to then when they don't for that to be notified across various kind of credit reference ages stuff to basically turn that on its head and go right we need to do this the other way around now (laughs) we need to actively stop taking mortgages take taking mortgage payments from people give them a break and not have it affect stuff and as a consequence, that led to a huge backlog uh, in mortgage applications because banks were trying to scrabble around and go, right, how do we do this? How can it be? And of course, they were being inundated with calls to say, I want my, I want my mortgage holiday. Um, so it wasn't necessarily perhaps the most, uh, I mean, I think it was a good idea for, for people to be able to, help, be able to have breaks rather than be put in financial kind of jeopardy. But I think it perhaps could have been handled from 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 my side in terms of being on in, in terms of I'm not in the I'm not a bank but in terms of being on the side of the banking industry which probably you know most people don't like I know that but um it perhaps could have been handled a bit better which then wouldn't have had 
some of the knock-on effects that it did have for a lot of people that were still trying to move and buy houses and stuff. Absolutely. Uh, Lewis, I, this might be a little bit um, closing the gate after the horse has bolted, but before we get too into uh, mortgages and what you do and so on, I wanted to ask, why, why do a podcast? What's, what was the thinking behind this? Um, well, I think a couple of reasons, really. A few reasons. One, um, it's, it can be actually quite difficult. So in terms of writing blog articles and stuff like that online, so it can be quite difficult to accurately get something down on paper that's relevant for most people. Because unfortunately, in this kind of job, the, the answer to most questions is, is often, it depends. Can I do X? Well, it depends on A, B, and C. Can I do Y? It depends on one, two, and three. Um, and so actually to get stuff down on paper that's relevant for people, that is actually the right answer, is, is, is very, very difficult. I mean, it's okay with broad brush questions like, answering things like what is an agreement in principle or, um, you know, what is a fixed rate mortgage? That's relatively straightforward. But can I buy a house if I've got A, B, and C situation and my income is X, Y, and Z? Well, it depends. It depends on lots of things, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it was around trying to answer people's questions. But also, um, I'm quite aware that most people don't read blog articles. The reason that they're written is to improve something called search engine optimization. So basically, you you source higher up the Google rankings. When people search for, I need a mortgage advisor or where's the best coffee shop or whatever it might be, people write blogs and they exploit kind of bits and bobs on the internet so that they can source higher and people can click on there. So in actual fact, the majority of stuff online, I'm perhaps sailing close to the wind when I say this, but certainly in my industry, and I don't really like using the word industry because we don't make anything. <laughs> um, but so in my industry, a lot of people write blog, blog, blog articles specifically to get higher up the Google rankings. And, and this goes for mortgage comparison sites. It goes for all these kind of various kind of money saving sites and all the rest of it. The majority of the stuff on there is not written to help you, even though it seems like it, it's written to sell something to you. And there's a big problem in terms of how much information is out there because there's quite a lot of contra contradictory information or it seems it, it appears contradictory. And it's not. It's just because, as I say, most answers are, it depends. So can I get a mortgage with a CCJ? It'll be yes for someone and no for another person, depending on the level of the CCJ and when it was registered and how much deposit they've got and what's their income. You know, so, so you can have one blog article saying, yes, you can have a mortgage with the CCJ. And then there'd be another blog article saying, no, you can't. And it, both are right, but it just depends on your circumstances. And so it's about to try and come on, um, one, and answer people's questions, because a lot of people do have similar questions. And two, no one reads blog articles. No one reads websites, and to be fair, I mean, some people do, but not many. Um, but actually, a lot of people will listen to a podcast. And if I can give a bit of value and a bit of useful information to people, then why not do it? And two, uh, no, that's not that's probably three now. But also, um, it's just a better medium, isn't it? Like, you know, it's much easier to pop your headphones in if you're walking to work or whatever you might and, and listen to a podcast as opposed to, oh, I'm going to sit down and read this article about credit reference agencies. Who's going to do that? Well, you yeah, valid, I mean, absolutely. I, I, I'm in the game and even I wouldn't do that because that's incredibly boring. But <laughs> I mean, I work in radio, so I'm biased in saying that, yeah, people will listen more than read, but they absolutely will, won't they? Um, and there's bounce rates and all sorts of surveys to, to prove that. Um, so, Lewis, you touched on it a little bit, but, but generally, what, what is a mortgage then? We're starting, obviously, we're starting with the basics today. This is day one. We, we, you know, 
explaining to people what this podcast is going to be and we've explained a little bit about who you are and that sort of thing so we're going to start nice and simple uh, well, I, say, <laughs> I might be i might be uh <laughs> yeah yeah maybe not simple but what is a mortgage uh, okay so basically a mortgage is just a secured loan so if you want the kind of the the, the official the legalese kind of uh definition um well this is i mean specifically for freeholds which is where you own the land and the property um so do you want the actual the full-on the full-on kind of what does that mean because it's well, in just, legal language just before that you mentioned there about a freehold so what what is what's the difference then what else is there if you if you were buying a house what's the difference between freehold and what what else is there uh there's freehold well there's two there's two there's, there's well we'll call it two there's freehold and there's leasehold so leasehold is where you own a lease on a property you don't necessarily own the land the freeholder retains the ownership of the land and you hold a lease for a period of time so typically most apartment and most apartments most flats are leasehold um and you own a lease for you know 125 years or 90 years or however however many years it might be but you never own the land on which it sits you just own um the lease for the for the actual building with freehold because it's obviously within a building within a building so basically you you own the building uh that you live in the part of it is, yeah, you're in a part of it. Yeah, because of course, you're, you know, for, the reason that they, they have to do that is because you need uh, someone to manage the entire actual, the land and the building, because of course, your ceiling is someone else's floor. So who's it, responsible for what? Blah, blah, blah. In simple terms, then, would you, is it basically if, if there's a communal area that it's a leasehold because you, there's areas that are shared and owned by? none of the tenants basically so everyone that owns the flats nobody owns those areas somebody else does um is that in in, in layman's terms the difference between a freehold and a leasehold is if there's communal areas it's a leasehold uh i mean that's not the technical definition but yeah for the purposes of this then yeah basically okay. whereas a freehold means that you own the the actual building and the land so you're the freeholder it means you've got the title you own a title you own a title deed so i mean I mean, the, the legal terminology around this kind of stuff is, is is actually quite complex. So if I give you, if I actually give you the, the kind of one of the legal definitions, so um, mode of, I think it's mode of mortgaging freeholds. This is like in the it's 1925. Um, some kind of I've seen a Evans sketch about this actually. Um, um, talks about mortgage jargon, and it is all a little bit oldie worldy, isn't it? Yeah, massively. So I'll, I'll uh, so I'll tell you what it is. So. A mortgage of an estate in fee simple shall only be capable of being affected at law either by demise for a term of years absolute subject to a provision for cessor on redemption or by a charge by deed expressed to be by way of legal mortgage provided that a first mortgage mortgagee shall have the same right to the possession of documents as if his security included the fee simple what? so yeah <laughs> yeah exactly exactly um so Basically, it's it's uh, it's a secured loan. Um, in terms of the actual word, it's probably a bit more interesting. So, mortgage uh, it comes from kind of oldie English stroke Latin stroke French. So, so mort the first sounds like Boris Johnson's speech, basically. <laughs> so, so mort uh, comes from the same place as mortal, mortuary, post mortem. So it means death. Oh. And gauge is oldie worldy for pledge. So, you know, if you engage someone, you pledge to marry them. If you disengage, you take yourself away. So mortgage literally means death pledge. Um, so okay. that's not to say that's not to say that, you know, um, 
Halifax are going to come around and lock your head off if you don't pay. Of course they're not. <laughs> I mean, perhaps back in the day that would have been a that all would have lot, been all the head lopping mortgage providers are available as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, so so that's where that's where the kind of word comes from. But um, basically, it's, it's not the actual. So, so when it's a, call it a death pledge, it doesn't mean that um, you're going to be paying it until you die. It's more that the pledge is dies a little bit over time. So you pay your mortgage off over time and that pledge to repay that over time uh, dies. And then eventually, um, of course, that house is yours and that pledge is removed because you've made, you've done good in terms of you've, you've, um, you've, you've upheld your side of the bargain. You've paid all the payments you need to pay until the end. And therefore your pledge at that point is over. So, Makes Basically, sense. a mortgage is just a secured loan, but you can have mortgages. They're not just on houses. Most people think they are only on houses, but you can get uh, kind of almost like mortgages because it's just it's money secured against an asset is what it is. Yeah. So people can actually mortgage paintings, wine cellars, all sorts of things. I mean, you have to go to some really quirky lenders, and I wouldn't necessarily get involved in it, but um, it's basically just a loan secured against an asset. So an asset that has intrinsic value, a house, a painting, etc. Um, it's things where the value is only going to go up in theory as well, isn't it? So things like a car, for example, you couldn't set aside a mortgage because the car is going to depreciate um, in theory, unless you own something, obviously, you know, that's a hundred years old, for example. Um, I, I seem to recall actually as a kid, my, my parents bought a brand new car and I seem to remember them saying they'd put that on the mortgage. So they'd, they'd sort of increase their mortgage to get the car and obviously it was set against the house. Um, am I right? Or does that make absolutely no sense at all? No, it, it does. So basically, if you if you own a home, let's call it two hundred thousand quid's worth of, of 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 value, and say that your mortgage outstanding is at hundred k, you can do what's called a capital raise remortgage, which is where you move from one lender to another, and you can borrow a bit more against the value of the house. You can use that potentially to um, to to buy a car. So it's not that you put the car on the mortgage; it's that you borrow against your house the value of your home in order to pay for whatever you want to pay for. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily say that that's particularly a good idea because a car's a depreciating asset, um, but it is a, um, a cheap way of, of buying what can be often expensive things like cars. But I, I wouldn't necessarily go down the route of it that now. But yeah, so I get what you're saying, but um, it's not as though a mortgage lender took a charge over the car. They just increased the, the, the mortgage against the home and then that additional money was given to your parents to allow them to buy whatever they wanted to buy with it. And it's something that's worth knowing as well, isn't it? Because you mentioned there, people think it's only about houses, but um, I think the logic behind them uh, doing that to buy the new car was they, they had a lot of secondhand cars and they realized that the amount they were spending, um, keeping them on, keeping them roadworthy was, it was going to be cheaper to actually just buy a new car um, over the course of its life, which actually they, they, they still to this day say it was because it was actually quite a good car and had it for a long time. It was very reliable and that sort of thing. Um, so they obviously put it on the mortgage because the interest rate was, was obviously quite low um, compared to a loan, which again, we'll touch on at some point, maybe today, maybe next week, I'm not sure, but nonetheless. Um, so it's something that's worth knowing about, isn't it, for people? If, they, if they've got an expensive outlay for a new car or something else, because it could be an investment. And sometimes the thing I find in life is actually um, having the money in your hand can save you money further down the line. So for example, uh, most people I know pay their car tax and their insurance monthly because it's easier to, to budget. And I found it, I found myself in a position a few years ago where I had the money to do it in one annual hit. And I actually saved 
in total a couple of hundred quid for the year. Um, and yeah. it's the same with so many other bills as well, where you can choose to pay quarterly and monthly, but there's always a little charge in there. But having that money in advance and then not spending it every month, because you're saving all that money, it all adds up. And then you can save even more money further down the line. So, for example, we're talking here about, about mortgages and you can have mortgages on other things as well. Um, it, it's an option that can be worth pursuing for people because because you're saving money um, and then you can can handle that money better in the long term. Possibly, although I wouldn't, I mean, if people wanted to buy, I certainly wouldn't recommend small debts, you know, being consolidated into a mortgage by any, by any stretch. It can be, it can be. I, I'm not a fan of it, I'll be honest, because um, to be fair at the moment, personal loans and the like and credit, I mean, credit cards, you can get 0% on credit cards. Not that I think anyone should go and rack up debt on credit cards, but, you know, where, there's, where, there, where there are 0% potential options, or very low interest loans that aren't secured against your home, that's probably a better way. I, I get, I know, I know what you're saying because, of course, you know um, when you when you purchase like car insurance and stuff, there's there's usually a, a finance cost, typically ten or twelve percent, I think, um, across the actual, you know. But so you know, cash generally is king in most circumstances, most of the time. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily go whacking stuff on mortgages willy-nilly because of course whilst the interest rates on a mortgage you know as long as you've got a good loan to value can be quite low um of course that debt is spread across usually quite a long period of time so the interest that's generated on it may not necessarily save money in the long run because you're generating interest for a long period of time and I should point interest. out at this point as well. Uh, sorry to cut across you there, Lewis. But I should point out at this point for listeners. Um, this is one of the reasons that Lewis has asked me to do this because I, I'm not an expert in finance at all, quite the opposite. Um, and, and I know he's keen to, to keep it simple for people um, so that people that, that are in the same boat as me that literally are starting out thinking, okay, I literally don't have the first clue about this. Um, we're not going in with any presumed knowledge. Um, so some of the things I'm asking, and again, just to, to reiterate what Lewis said earlier about, you know, none of this is advice and, and you can't come to us and say, you said this and I did it and it all went pear-shaped because I ain't got a clue. I'm asking questions as a, as a, as a consumer at this stage. And Lewis is obviously here as a, as a uh, advisor to tell me when, when I'm being daft, basically. So carry on now, Lewis. No worries, mate, no worries. So, yeah, so so because of that, because interest is generated for a long period of time, and also because most people most people don't really think or, or, or quite understand um, compound interest. Einstein, you know, the, the guy with the mental hair that came up with E equals MC squared? <laughs> yes, um, I'm familiar with his work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, he, you know, kind of... Um, talked about compound interest and how compound interest is one of the most one of the most powerful forces in the universe because of its kind of the, the ability for it to exponentially rise and so that's why um you know when, when we're talking about mortgages because it is compound interest that's being generated on a loan that's why you know you can say well i've saved 300 quid on this but and and the interest rate is only you know x but actually that interest rate has been charged on a compound basis for the next 20 odd years and therefore, yes, you might save 300 quid, but in terms of interest over the term of the mortgage, that might have, shot, that might have cost you thousands. That's the reason I wouldn't advocate whacking stuff on a mortgage um, because of compound interest, even though, even though it can often seem like it's saving you money. Um, the interest rate for a mortgage to save you money uh, when you're buying kind of uh, items like cars and things, 
the interest rate that you would the the, the equivalent personal loan would need to be would be pretty high. So yeah, don't try not to go whacking stuff like that on a mortgage. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you know, where it comes to um, if people want to do extensions where they're actually building on the house and all that kind of stuff, or or where the money's being spent in the house, yeah, that's 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 fine. That's fine because of course you're adding value to something that the, the loan is secured against. But I wouldn't recommend doing it for, for, for other stuff, to be fair. It's just a shame that they didn't use the loan when they bought the car to buy a DeLorean, because then I could go back in time and tell them not to have done it. Um, but they were <laughs> <laughs> So um, what is the benefit of using a broker instead of, instead of you know, perhaps using a bank? Um, to be fair, it, it, it varies. It varies. So generally what so what do mortgage brokers do well so we i should say the mortgage brokers and mortgage advisors they're they're the same thing it's just two different words but they do the same thing um generally we've got access to far far more um products and deals and all that kind of stuff um it's much easier than going and sitting in 12 different banks for three hours at a pop so for example if you if you go down to your local high street bank whoever that may be and said, I want a mortgage. They'll say, okay, well, we'll book you in with, a, with our mortgage advisor at the bank. And they might go in and you might sit and watch a half hour video and you're presented with a load of forms and you'll fill those in. You go through a fact find. You might be in there for two or three hours. And then they'll say, oh, actually, either, okay, we can do this and these are the deals we've got. Or, oh, actually, I'm sorry, Mr. Smith, I, I can't help you. Um, no, don't bring you know, me into this. I'm, not, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm impartial. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, if you, so for, for example, let's say, you know, well, for a start, there's, there's 10 high street lenders also. If you had to go and spend three hours a pop in each one, that's 30 hours. So you'd have to take a week off work. Um, you'd be incredibly bored by the end of the week. Um, you'd probably be more confused than you were illuminated. And you still wouldn't necessarily know what the right deal is for you. So, the mortgage advisor's job is, is just that to give advice. It's, it's not about dictating what you should do. It's about saying, right, you've come to me with this set of circumstances and taking everything into account, I'm going to say that this is the best lender and this is the best deal and these are the reasons why. It's important that that comes across, that we don't just pick it out of a hat. There's, there's always a rationale behind it. Um, and, of course, we're regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, so we have to fulfil certain obligations. We have to you know, treat customers fairly. That's an actual TCF is a big thing with with the FCA, um, treating customers fairly, making sure that making sure that customers have good outcomes, um, making sure that customers aren't uh, deceived, making sure that everything is fair, clear, and transparent. There's a lot of regulation that we have to abide by, and when we you know arrange mortgage, um, we may get spot checked. Well, we do get spot checked, so we have to pay. Um, I have to pay for auditors effectively. I mean, they're not called auditors; they're called compliance teams, but. I have to pay uh, as part of my uh, just part and parcel of doing business that someone I, I have to basically open up my laptop. Someone rocks up and goes, right, I want to see these 10 cases. They can pick whichever they want. Um, and then they go through that with a fine tooth comb, check all the documentation, check everything I've done, make sure that the advice I've given is one suitable and two in the customer's best interest. So um, and if obviously we found not to be doing that, we, it's pretty serious, you know. Um, so. It's about doing what's in the best interests of a person. Now, that said, sometimes what's in the best interests of a consumer 
isn't necessarily what the consumer wants. That can cause that can cause problems where someone says, "I want to bugs and I want to do X, Y, and Z." In this case, of I'm not so sure that that's actually a good idea because we're not here to just take orders in the, in the sense of, "Well, I want to do X." I want it. so, for example, if someone rocks up and goes, "You know, I own this home and I want to buy five cars um, so that I can race around five cars," or, or whatever you know, or I've I, you know I want to do whatever it might be X, Y, and Z, and sometimes we have to say. Actually, no, we're not doing that. Well, well, I want to. You may want to, but, you know, it's not a good idea. And I'm not going to do that for you, even though it's doing myself out of money, doing myself out of business, because we've got to be always doing what's in the person's best interest. And as, you know, as we all know, we don't, we're not, we're not all great at doing what's in our own best interests. You know, I mean, most of us have a drink and that's not particularly good. And I'm certainly, I'm definitely overweight and that's not good. Um, so it's the same with finances as well. It's not always a case of, I just want to do this and therefore, well, okay, let's do it. We have to be able to prove and show and demonstrate that it, that it was beneficial for it to be done for someone, you know, good stuff, Lewis, I think that's a really good place to end it there because we've, uh, we've talked in great detail there about what you do and why, and it's a great place to end just on that point that, you know, you're there to help people and you, you, you are obliged to do the right thing. Um, even if people don't always want to hear it, um, it's always, you know, it's always in their best interests. Um, so that was a very, a very vague sort of, well, I say vague, went to a lot of detail in some parts, but nonetheless, we've given a really good overview there of um, what it is you do, how you do it, um, why people use your sorts of services, and not yours specifically, but that industry. Uh, we've talked a little bit about mortgages. Uh, and as the weeks go on, I know we're going to talk very specifically in each podcast about different areas of, of uh, mortgages and, and financial advice as well. Yeah, definitely. There's going to be quite a bit of stuff in, in here, hopefully, that's actually um, probably things that people just didn't even, even realise. I'm going to talk about a little, you know, one of the episodes is going to be about a, a little business that's sat up in Stoke that's, that's pretty much like Big Brother monitoring you that you don't even know exists. So, yeah, there'll be other stuff in there, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting indeed. Lewis, thank you very much for your time. Uh, I hope it's helped people out. I hope they'll, uh, they'll know where to go now for advice um, if necessary. All the details on the website um, as well. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Take care. Oh, actually, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Got one before, more. Sorry, just before we go. Um, I did ask if there were any questions. Um, there was a couple of questions people asked. So I did put out on, on Insta and Facebook if there are any questions. Uh, there was a question from uh, Josh. So I'm going to answer Josh's question. It was... Uh, how am I so goddamn sexy? I think that's just can that can only be down to my parents' genetics. So thanks for that, Josh. And uh, I had a message from uh, a uh, someone that's in the mortgage industry that works for a bank, and, and they asked who's the best best business development manager. Um, and um, I want to say I'm not going to say who, but I'll just give the initials, uh, and it's JC. She'll know. She'll know who she is. So there we are. That's that's the last bit. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I categorically confirm that I am not the Josh that sent that question in. Um, no, Lewis, no. I'm not saying I disagree, but nonetheless, Lewis, thank you very much for your time. Uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week with a little bit more specific advice, uh, topic to be decided. Uh, take care. In the meantime, have a great week. Bye-bye. See you later.